So today is, again, another unique Sunday, and I hesitate to use that word because I feel like we've been using the word unique a lot with our interview Sunday and brunch Sunday and the food that was served for a variety of reasons. It's kind of like becoming when, during COVID, we started using unprecedented, and everything became unprecedented, and it would just kind of became this word that was overused. I feel like almost unique Sundays for us has become this like new norm. And, but it really is today, so I don't know. Maybe it's an unprecedented Sunday um, here because we, um, like Zach mentioned, our pastor and his family are gone today. His son is getting married in just a few hours up in Michigan, and so we're missing a few of the band members, a few of our families that have their kids involved in youth group for a number of years are going to be up there because his son Brett and Carly have been leading the youth group and are moving away, so hence the change in leadership there. And so we're just thankful that they have the opportunity to celebrate today, but that we still have the opportunity to gather. So um, that is what we're going to do today. So as we, as we head in, I, I just want to kind of remind you, we've been going over the last few weeks the Lighthouse values. And so these are things corporately, we believe, as a church, we should be doing. And so that's going to be gather, connect, serve, invite, and then the last one today is to give. Now, the term giving, I understand, has different contexts. So we can give of our time, we can give of ourselves, our life. Emotionally, we can give of our talents. Like the band, you know, they give of their time by having extra practices, come up here, give of their talents in leading us in worship. It's emotionally taxing to stand in front of a group of people. And so they're giving in that way. But I think in that context, we, we covered a lot of that in the serving week where we talked about serving within the church and outside of the church. And so for the sake of today's message, when I'm saying giving, I'm speaking to our fin- giving of our financial resources. So that is, in this day and age, that is money. And yes, I know I said the big bad M word, money, it's an uncomfortable topic. It's one of the stop, top stressors in life. It's one of the top, you know, conflict, causes for conflict in marriage. And, you know, even the Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. So when we replace a love for God with instead a love for money or really anything else, all kinds of evil ensues. And so you have crime and murder and just all kinds of mess. And even in the context of faith, you don't need to look very far to find scandal upon scandal, even in churches, with leaders or pastors mishandling money. And so I get that it's a sore subject. There's a lot of baggage to sort through. But we're going to go there today, one, because it's the next topic, so that's what we're stuck with today. But also, it is a big part of life. You know, it's a necessary aspect of life. We spend money every day. There's a lot of money spent on the handling of money. And the biblical writers, with, with the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote a lot about money. If you do even word searches on kind of all the money words of gold, silver, wealth, riches, inheritance, debt, poverty, and other words, it's talked about a lot. And I think it's safe to say that God cares about our money and how we handle it. Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so it's where where our head is with how we spend and use our money impacts our heart and our love for the Lord. 
And the Bible offers much instruction on how to steward our money well, but that's not the topic for today. We have, Pastor has talked at length about that in other um, whole series or one-off messages, and you can go on our website and search the past messages long if you're interested in that, or I know that's something that Pastor is really passionate about if you just would like to sit down with somebody and have them give you some guidance in that area. But today we're talking about corporate generous giving, because this is the call of the church, God's people. And if you're uncomfortable with talking about money, you're still like Debbie, I still don't like it, I still don't like this, but I may sit through this. I trust that even the reading of God's word together will produce fruit that causes us to praise the ultimate giver, our God, for his generosity towards us. Now for me personally, I am thankful that money and giving is actually not a negative to me, and that I know is because of the modeling of my parents. My parents are both um, just faithful believers and have been all my life and lived in a generous way. And so as I reflect back um, on being a kid, my dad was a physician, so he made a decent wage, and I have his permission to share all this, just so you know. He said, you can say anything good or bad about me. Um, But he... We lived differently than other doctors' families because we lived in a small town that you were either kind of like a farmer or a doctor's kid, had a huge hospital and clinic, and that's just kind of how it was. So I had multiple friends who had a parent that was a physician. And I just noticed we lived differently. We didn't have a big fancy house. We always bought used cars and ran them to the ground. And, you know, my first cars were like my grandparents' hand-me-downs and stuff like that. So we, um, my, we lived in a different way, and I look back and I notice, I notice that now. And also, as I started collecting my own money, whether it's through allowance or babysitting, whatever I was doing, my parents set up the envelope system for me and taught me about saving and giving and spending. And I had my whole envelope and the container. And um, it's been used for many different ways by my kiddos, (laughs) even, because I actually finally threw it away because it broke. But I, I know that they instilled that in me. It was just a normal thing. And it wasn't a stressful thing, but it was a joy to give and to follow the rules that my parents, the rules, but the principles that my parents laid out for me. And then I remember one time too, I was maybe 12-ish, that at Christmas time, I don't know where this idea came from, but I asked my mom, please don't give me any presents, and instead the money that you would have spent, I want to give away. And they allowed me to do that. And so my mom informed grandma and grandpas and aunts and uncles, anybody that normally gets me a gift, and they said, Debbie wants to just give the money that she would normally, that people would normally spend on gifts and give it away. So I got to look through this Christian ministry catalog, you know, and send a wheelchair to a little boy in Africa or so. I don't exactly remember. I do remember the wheelchair thing. And then a goat to like a little kid in South America or something like that. And, um, and I'm just so thankful that my parents allowed me to kind of exercise and test out like what this can look like. And I haven't done it since that whole Christmas thing, but I remember times like that as a kid and then even now, my dad retired a few years ago, and, but he kept working. And like I said, he's a physician, so in his department, somebody always has to be on call on the weekends just in case of emergency. And so my dad kept working and took as many on-call shifts as he could because, one, he's like, if I work on the weekends, then nobody else has to. And, two, if I make more money, then I have more money to give away. And it's like if you want my dad to get excited about something, like get it. Like that is how he brightens up. And so that's been the example laid forth for me. And why I start there 
is just that I recognize that that's probably a unique situation and that most people don't come from, from a family like that. But I think no matter what you're, where you're at with money, if it's just a really discouraging topic or not, um, but especially if it's a discouraging topic to you, that I think that example of my parents gives us a view for how God desires it to be. And, and I believe that he can redeem even the, the painful places in our hearts um, for his glory and that it can be a joyful thing. My goal this morning is not to raise a bunch of money for the church. That is not to what I have been like placed here to do this morning. But my goal is that my heart and our hearts would reflect the generosity of our Lord and that through that there would be more generous giving within and outside of the church. So before we open God's word together, let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and to open your word and to explore your truths and your principles together. Um, Lord, we know that you are the one that does the work in our hearts. So thank you, God, that you have prepared us um, to receive and to step into whatever um, next step we have in obedience to be uh, the salt and light to the world. Lord, thank you that you are our example and bless this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So if you have a Bible, you can open there, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, or a Bible app on your phone, or the verses are also going to be on the screen. So we're going to be looking at the um, context of maybe a familiar verse to you is God loves a cheerful giver. And I had... As I've been preparing this, I can't tell you how many times there's a little children's song that's God loves a cheerful giver, ha, 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 ha. How many times that has come into my head as I've been preparing this? <laughs> and it's just made me chuckle. Um, I even looked up the whole song because I'm like, there's more to it, but I can't think of the rest of the words. Um, but that's what we're going to look at today. And the writer of 2 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul. He was a leader in the early church. He was writing to the church in Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece right now. It was a wealthy city. Paul was a traveling missionary, and he evangelized to the city, stayed there for a year and a half originally, built up the church, and then he moved on and went to evangelize other areas. And the church fell apart and kind of had some serious problems. And so that's we get to read about those in 1 Corinthians. It gets kind of juicy in there if you have interest to read those. But then about a year later, he, we have what is known as 2 Corinthians. And so for the majority of the book, Paul's talking about his concerns with some false teachers that have infiltrated the church. But the section we're going to look at today, Paul focuses on reminding the Corinthians of a prior commitment that they made. Paul had been collecting money from a variety of churches in a number of regions for the distressed Christians in Jerusalem, which at this time, um, the Christians back in Jerusalem had been not only experiencing extreme poverty, but also extreme persecution. So we think that around this time, there was a a pretty severe famine that went through the area, and so that was potentially part of the issue. But then we also know that there was some pretty intense persecution that was happening to the believers there. And Paul had addressed this in 1 Corinthians and directed the church, you know, on the first day of every week, each of you should put aside and save for the believers in Jerusalem, and they were planning to come back through and collect the money. 
But the Corinthians had gotten off course at some point, maybe due to the issues that are talked about in 1 Corinthians. But Paul wanted to take some of this letter to remind them. And as we read together, I just want you to note how often the word generous or a form of it is used in these two chapters. And it'll be highlighted up on the screen for you as well. Um, but it's, it's definitely a theme in this passage. So let's start here with chapter 8, verse 1. I want you, talking to the Corinthians, to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Now, Macedonia was a region north of Corinth, so it's a larger region, and included many different cities and therefore many different um, churches. And so Macedonia, you might be familiar with some of the, the cities there. So we have the city of Philippi, so the Philippians, Thessalonica, Thessalonians, and the Bereans, who we learn about in Acts as well. So those, those groups of people that we know about all encompass the Macedonians. So they, the Macedonians, are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who is Paul's ministry partner, who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us, I want you to excel also in the generous act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. The first thing I want to note here is in verse 1. He says, I want you to know what God in his kindness has done. And this is a point to me that is, is throughout this passage, but this is God's work in and through us. We cooperate with the Lord. We bring willing hearts, but it is his good work in us, and he gets the glory. Secondly, Paul is wanting the church in Corinthians to know what is happening in Macedonia. So he's using a testimony of the believers to encourage them. And what's interesting to me is we find out later in Corinthians that it was actually the Corinthian church who first gave and spurred on the Macedonians, and now the Macedonians are spurring on the Corinthians who have fallen off the rails. And isn't that just a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, that as we kind of fall and get discouraged or distracted, that the testimony of others can encourage us? And that's what's happening here. The Corinthians were the first ones to give, we find out in chapter 9. And then Paul traveled up to Macedonia, and they were so encouraged by the Corinthians' desire to give that the Macedonians had to give, had to give. And now the Corinthians are being encouraged by the testimony of the Macedonians. The next thing in verse 2, the, the Macedonians had every excuse not to give. So in other translations, it would say deep poverty. This is a poverty that most of us will probably never experience. And not only that, we know from First and Second Thessalonians that those in Thessalonica were also experiencing persecution. 
And so what I find so interesting is that they were giving to a similar situation in Jerusalem that they were experiencing themselves. Yet they wanted to give anyways. Why? It tells us they were filled with abundant joy, which overflowed in rich generosity. So why did they have joy, is my next question. Well, the passage doesn't explicitly say, but we do know that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And we also know that these believers, at one time, were blind, but now they see. They were without hope, and now they have hope. They were without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now they have the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They were without the Holy Spirit. Now they have the Holy Spirit. And that knowledge of God stirred up in them such a joy that they couldn't help but give richly and generously. And they were eager. It says that they begged Paul again and again. And we don't know if, you know, Paul was being like, oh, no, it's fine. Keep your money for yourselves. We don't know why they had a sense of needing to beg or if it was just a constant, like, asking of, like, attacking Paul. Okay, what, what's the next? What's, what's, what's happening? But we know that they begged again and again to give to this ministry. And they gave more than they could afford and more than Paul expected. There was some sacrifice there. They were not giving out of their abundance. Sacrificial giving is going without so that others can have, and this is what they did. There's some intentionality involved. There's a trust in God that's necessary. Sacrificial giving is, in our day and age, definitely countercultural. It's uncomfortable. It's not common, but it's so beautiful. And I want to give you just a, it's kind of a silly example, but it was the only one I could think of where I just felt like the Lord was trying to grow my muscles in this area of sacrificial giving. Before COVID, my husband and I were hosting a small group, and we would always have a meal together. And we had decided that we really wanted to support this ministry overseas. And um, so part of that, instead of just kind of people bringing, well, just bring whatever you have, cash-wise, and we'll just collect it. We wanted to intentionally go without an aspect of our meal and the money that would have gone to purchase that part of the meal set aside to the ministry. And so if, you know, Steve was supposed to bring dessert tonight, instead I'd say, hey, Steve, don't bring dessert. Just bring what you would have spent on dessert, and we'll send it towards the ministry. If I were making chicken chili, I'd leave out the chicken, and what I would have spent on the chicken, we put to the ministry. And it was, it was a small way, but I think for me it was just a beautiful way to like, intentionally sacrifice something instead of just like, oh, I'll just give you know, out of my abundance. Like, yeah, we have more than enough. But it was a, how can I really go without? And the other thing that I noticed was that because it took more intentionality, you know, I had to plan meals and figure out what we would not have, that the believers um, overseas were on my mind more often. So I was praying for them more. I was considering more of what it was like to be them. And, and I loved that time 
um, and just to be able to small way sacrificially give. The next thing Paul does is he tries to build up the Corinthians and he encourages them and he says, you know, I've, I've seen marks of your faith. I have seen you excel in all these things. Faith, knowledge, enthusiasm, like you're growing, but there's another thing. I want you to experience this gracious act of giving. And then he equates it with showing that your love is genuine. This is what believers are marked by. It's not just a love, but it's a love that has actions. Jesus said in John 13, we love, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So he's encouraging them to do this next thing. But let us remember that generous giving is God's work. No matter the circumstances, his work overflows in sacrificial giving. Verse 9 says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, grace has become a pretty common word. People name their children grace, and it's a beautiful name. But grace has often a deeper meaning that gets overlooked in our common language of it. And grace means unmerited favor, or undeserved gift. And it's the idea that there is nothing you can do to deserve this gift or earn this gift. And Paul describes this as a generous gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that though he was rich for your sakes, he became poor so that by his poverty, he, you could be, by his poverty, he could make you rich. And this is just a beautiful snapshot of the gospel in these two sentences. This is the best motivation for our giving generously because we get to model Jesus Christ. And Paul uses this rich and poor sense, but it's, it's not so much like that we get to be rich like millionaires here on earth, but it's in a spiritual sense of God came down and became poor. So Jesus came down. He not only lived a life of poverty, but even more so, he took on the limitations of humanity. He suffered. He became poor so that we, who are poor spiritually, could become rich. And he did this because of love. In 1 John 3.16, so you know, you know John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16 is another beautiful passage where it says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. We also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. And this is a nod to Paul's last exhortation where he says, I'm testing how genuine your love is by whether or not you give. And so in other words, if we say we love God and we love each other, there will be action involved, just like God who loves us. 
He's our model. He's the ultimate giver. He gave life and breath. God gave his son, Jesus. Jesus gave of his life. God gives us the Holy Spirit who gives us knowledge, understanding, help, comfort, wisdom, power, revelation, and spiritual gifts. Or as James puts it in James chapter 1, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. And just to be clear, generous giving is not required for salvation. Because remember, it's a generous grace from Jesus. It is not something we can earn. Salvation is not something we can earn. It's a gift. But generous giving is a fruit or a byproduct of a life that's been saved. We give because God gave first. He's our motivation. And so now Paul has, has encouraged the Corinthians with the testimony of the Macedonians. He's reminded them of Jesus' work in his sacrificial, generous giving. And we'll pick up in verse 10. Here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. So first he reminds them, Corinthians, you were eager one time, at one time too. And in the last year, we don't know what it was. Something came up that they got distracted or discouraged. But isn't that how it goes for us as well? You know, we get excited about the things of the Lord. Maybe you come to church on Sunday and you're really encouraged or challenged by a message. And you're like, yeah, now I'm going to go read my Bible or I'm going to attend church faithfully or I'm going to go serve or I'm going to do all these things. And then, you know, weeks or months go by and that passion's faded. And so may this be an encouragement to all of us that, for one, the early church didn't get it right either. But Paul's inviting them I think God invites us to start again and to press on in his strength. And just to give you another um, personal example uh, from my life. So Jens and I have a budget. And, you know, with like giving and insurance and out to eat and food and gas and, you know, all those things. And we try to stick to it pretty well. And I, um, a year or so ago, would um, really try to keep up with it because in my mind, by the end of the month, if we had extra, then I could go out to eat again. And that is like my thing. And I I think the Holy Spirit just showed me how fleeting that happiness was. (laughs) That like all month I'm trying so hard and tracking my expenses so that I can like inhale food for 15 minutes and it's gone. And so Jens and I sat down after I just felt this conviction about that. And we talked through how instead we wanted to use whatever excess we had and give into something that would last. And, and I think what I noticed for myself was that I had even more passion and excitement to stick to our budget, 
and be really frugal so that at the end of the month, I had extra so I could give more away. But to be honest with you, I have not been tracking my budget for the last few months. Because life happened. I got distracted, and now I'm just kind of discouraged if I have. I'm so behind. (laughs) But this, again, this encourages me of man. Ask the Lord's forgiveness and press on because there is joy to be found. Next, the other thing that Paul points out here is the idea of proportional giving, that he's not asking them for a flat rate, okay, everybody give $10 to this, um, because we recognize that people are in different financial situations. And so again, there's an intentionality here where you need to figure out proportionally what that looks like. And we see this beginning in the Old Testament with the proportional giving of the tithe, And that might be a word that's familiar to you, but if it's not, I want to give just a little recap of that. So the tithe literally means tenth, and so it was the idea of living off of 90% of your income and then reserving the tenth. So this was part of God's law for his people in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, to reserve for them, it was all the produce of the land and their flocks. You know, they didn't get like an electronic paycheck like we do. So it was after you've gathered all your fruits, take out 10%. And that 10% was not only worship to the Lord, but it served a practical need in caring for the needs of the Levites, who were the tribe that was responsible for being the priest for the people and taking care of the temple and caring for the needs with regard to sacrifice and all those things. So not only, again, was it worship to the Lord, but it served a practical need in caring for the families, the priestly families. And because they, you know, were caring for the things of the Lord, they didn't have time to go, like, reap and harvest and farm and all that stuff. So it, it met a practical need there, which is why in the New Testament context, which is our context, now that Jesus has come, Christians still practice this today, not as a law, but as a, as a good principle to follow, And so you might still hear this of, okay, let's collect our tithes and offerings. So tithes is the 10%, offerings is anything above that. And so many Christians will still practice where they do 10% to the local church and then may give above and beyond that. And you might be going, Debbie, that is a lot. And I understand that. And, And I'm not saying that is the law for you or a rule for you, but I think it's a good principle to start to start with. But Really, it's a, it's a matter of the heart. And so if you have a desire to give, ask the Lord what that looks like for you and consider a percentage. For me, when I was in college, my um, college pastor, he had shared at one time that when him and his wife got married, they agreed to start at 10% of all their income. And then every year on their anniversary, they increased it by 1%. So by the time I was like at their church during college, he had maybe been married 15 years, so they were maybe at 25%. And that is what they felt called to do. And they did it so joyfully. The next thing that Paul points out here is just wise and responsible giving. You know, it's an idea of give until it hurts, but don't hurt those you're responsible for. Having an awareness of what your needs are and what your wants are. And so, for example, I might choose to fast a meal a week so that I can reserve that money 
to give and spend that time instead of eating, praying, and there's that whole idea. But is it really responsible for me to make my small children participate in that fast? Is that healthy for them? And so there's, there's wisdom. There's so much nuance to this, and that is why we ask God for wisdom. To, and we want to give wisely. And what's so cool is if, again, back in James 1, that if you have the heart to give, you can ask God for wisdom. And it says that God will give, guess what, generously wisdom to anyone who asks. And so know that even if you're like, I don't even know where to start in all this, let God know your heart and then ask him for wisdom. Now, for the sake of time, we're going to jump to chapter 9, verse 6. The verses that we're not going to read today involve Paul's plan to get the money where it needed to go with accountability, because there was some travel involved. And then he encourages the church to have their gift ready when Titus and the other brothers arrive. Um, He doesn't want them scrambling. And so picking up in verse 6, it says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need, and you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, this is in Psalms, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you will always be generous. The first thing I want to note here is in verse 7 where he says, decide in your heart how much to give. He doesn't want people to feel pressured or have to decide like in the moment. He wants people to be able to go home, pray about it, seek the Holy Spirit's wisdom in this, sense what the Lord is telling you to do, and come back with your gift. He doesn't want them to give reluctantly or under pressure. Paul mentions this two, something like this two other times in, the, in this passage back in chapter 8. He said that the Macedonians gave of their own free will. And then in chapter 9, he also says, I want it to be a willing gift, not given grudgingly. So there's an importance here of an intentionality of, of praying about it, deciding in your heart how much to give. And... I think that's one of the reasons why Lighthouse, like coming up, we'll have our annual Be Rich campaign. And we talk about it for a few weeks because we don't want it to be just a one Sunday. We tell you to give and you're like, ah, frazzled and trying to figure that out. But it's a go home, pray about it. Decide what the Lord may be calling you to give. Then next, the verse. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God loves it. Why? I think there's a few things that this passage shows us in what, what the Lord loves in a cheerful giving. And one is because it's a matter of the heart. It's not just about obeying the rules and the laws and doing, crossing all the T's and O's and X's and all that stuff. You don't cross O's. But anyway, um, It's an idea that it's a matter of the heart. 
Do we have a heart to give? And he loves it because if we do, it shows that God's fruit is producing in our lives. Cheerful giving is worship. We are trusting God not in our, and not in our own means. We're communicating that he is enough. We're having compassion for others. Joy and love is on display. There's obedience happening and more. And then in verse 10, it says, you know, and more fruit is going to be produced, which pleases the Lord as well. It says that he will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. So we're reading from the NLT version, which usually tries to make it kind of easier for us to understand. So it's going to take the main concept of this passage, generosity, and translate that, a harvest of generosity. But most translations will use a great harvest of righteousness or right living, which one of those things is generosity. And so he's going to produce in you a great harvest of righteousness. There's going to be so much goodness coming out of your life. And that pleases the Lord. I think he also loves cheerful giving because in verse 11, he gets to enrich you in every way. And you know what? You're going to experience that and you are going to see how great it is and you're not going to want to stop giving. That's what it says. So you'll always be generous. And there's prevalent teaching today that focuses on the financial blessings of giving. And certainly there's a case for that in Scripture that God blesses us financially, supernaturally. But I think the spiritual benefits are much more compelling. And there's also, um, speaking of every way, I don't have time to belabor the physical and emotional benefits of a lifestyle of generous giving. Like there have been scientific studies done on just what giving does. And it's just a beautiful testimony to the way that God has ordered our bodies and he's built into our neurochemistry for it to work this way. Things like generous givers have less anxiety. They have lower blood pressure. They can actually um, see the same benefit in generous givers as those that exercise a lot because God has ordered our body that way. And praise him that following Christ's example doesn't just have spiritual benefits, but it has overall health benefits as well. Or Jesus put it another way in Acts 20, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Which, you know, if we look at it with our human eyes, that doesn't really make sense. But we know that in God's economy, it does. I think God is also pleased with our our cheerful giving because it means he gets to provide. When we give generously, we reap generously. And who provides that increase? God does. And he does so generously. It says here, you will always have everything you need and plenty left over so you can hoard it for yourself. No. You will have plenty left over to keep sharing. And it says, he will provide and increase your resources and you will be enriched in every way. Or a wise investment from Proverbs 19.17 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he, the Lord, will repay him for his deed. God provides generously when we give generously. And this is just a wonderful perk of a life lived for Christ. This is not our primary motivation of like, oh, well, if I do this, then I get all these good things from God. No, 
This is just a perk in how God ordered it, that when we obey him, good comes. As we close out this passage, we get to see two more things that happen from generous giving. And I don't think this is not an exhaustive list here, but Paul wants to highlight two things. So picking up in verse 11, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. So what are the two things? Their generous giving meets needs. We have the opportunity to show God's love to our neighbors. We get to be part of meeting needs, which brings joy in and of itself. We get to express our love through actions. And secondly, generous giving results in praise. God receives more praise and more worship because of generous giving. Both from the giver because our generous, cheerful giving is worship in and of itself. But then when the receiver receives it, they praise God too. And so there's this, there's more. When there's more generous giving going out, God is receiving more praise. As a giver, I'm worshiping just in my act of generosity, but I can also praise the Lord and thank him that I have the resources to be able to do that. And then the giver receives it and goes, wow, God, thank you. Thank you for the giver. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for showing yourself to be faithful. There's just more praise going around. We get to worship God through imitating him. Because, again, he's the ultimate giver. And lastly, in verse 15, Paul closes this section with reminding us that it's all because of Jesus Christ's gift. It's too wonderful for words. Jesus' gift, his death and resurrection, his generous sacrificial gift is why we do this. So as we recap these two chapters again, Generous giving is God's work. God does the work in our willing hearts. And we actually get to know kind of the end of the story. In Romans 15, we learn that Paul's appeal was successful. The Corinthians were spurred on, and they fulfilled their gift. And maybe that's just our next step today, to simply ask the Lord to give us hearts that desire to give. Because we give, because God gave first. God gave first and we get to follow his lead. But we give wisely. We ask God for wisdom on how to give. And I understand this can be tricky, again, depending on your financial situation or maybe if there's disagreement in your marriage relationship and so spending money, there has to be some agreement. But we thank the Lord that he gives wisdom in that 
and he knows your heart. If you express to him that desire to give, even in the midst of tricky situations, he will give you wisdom. I think every time Jens and I look at our budget, we just are like, Lord, we want to be able to give more. And, and the Lord hears that and knows that. God provides generously when we give generously. A life of faith overflows with good things, love, kindness, generosity, peace, etc. God in his kindness ordered things that way, that obedience would lead to benefit in our lives in so many ways. What a gracious God we serve. And then generosity meets needs. Jesus met our need. We get to model the gospel every day by meeting the needs of those around us. And lastly, generous giving results in praise, which is what we were created to do. So before we close, I want to speak practically for a moment, and then we'll sing some songs, but where, um, just a few points on just like kind of where to give. So in the, specifically in this passage, it's highlighting fellow believers giving to other believers in a different region, right? But we can look at so many scriptures that highlight caring for the needs of people that are near and far. And for us, this may be local believers or local ministries or overseas believers or ministries. And the scripture is also clear on to care for the needs of the poor and widows and orphans and others that may have significant need. And so first, maybe just ask the Lord to show you where the needs are. And then what are you passionate about? I think God's given us each different passions. And so what are some things that you can support that you're passionate about, especially if they're things that you can't maybe put your hands, your own hands and feet to? And then what are some things that have impacted you or blessed you personally? Maybe it's Christian radio or a Christian camp or a different parachurch ministry that has so blessed your heart and you want to be able to share that and make sure other people have that opportunity as well. So those are some ideas. Another thing would just be to give to your local church as well. We couldn't be sitting here today without giving. Some of you know the people that gave so that this building could be built. There are tangible needs. You know, we provide a place for Sunday services. There's weekly groups that meet here, a local AA meeting, the food pantry serves out of here, blood drive on a regular basis. So without caring for the needs of our building, we couldn't do those things. Additionally, we have staff to care for as they care for us. Not only in the preparation of Sunday morning and giving of the message and just all the electronic -y stuff that gets set up and the work that our pastors do. But we have access to pastors who care for us, who give counsel, who rejoice when we rejoice, and grieve with us when we grieve. And so let's care for them well. Living generously and sacrificially every day in God's strength and in the direction of the Holy Spirit is what we're called to do. It's a lifestyle. And some people want to say, well, once I have enough money, like once I have more money, then I'll give because it'll be easier. In preparing this in the last few weeks as we've sat down with uh, the team and pastors, um, Arlen, who's been a you know, pastor for almost 25 years, 
shared, you know, in his, even in his years of pastoral ministry, you can say that is not how it works. People say, oh, I'm going to give more once I make more. No, they don't. Because it's now an intentional habit or routine to place in your life to think this way. So work it into your budget. To make sure you don't forget the food pantry needs, have it on the first thing of your grocery list. Have some cash in your wallet that's only for spontaneous giving. Have a 10 or a 20 or a 100, I don't know, whatever it is, that there's this that is only used for giving, and once you give it away, you replace it with something else, but that is what it is for. You know, maybe it is removing meat from certain meals intentionally. Gather it as a family around the meal and explain why you're doing it. Remove some Starbucks runs or some other treats and instead intentionally set that money away. If you're sitting in a restaurant and you bow your head to pray and be a witness to the Lord of those around you, please leave a generous tip at the end. Display God's love through generous giving, even if it's not great service. At Christmas, maybe ask ask for donations to be given in your name or do something as a family. Say, hey, we're going to shrink our budget a little bit so that we can give to this together. For me, I've been thinking about just how to live in this state of mind every day and especially in front of my children with or without them knowing that I'm doing this because, of course, they don't know the intricacies of our budget But even this week, I was thinking as I was cutting um, frozen pizza up for them, and I was thinking of what their preferences would be on the pizza. So do I take the one that's more burnt and give them the one with the toppings? You know, my son would prefer the one with the most toppings of this. My daughter would prefer this one. How do I live that way, even in just the intentional little things like that, that God can use in big ways? I want to invite the band to come up as I seek to just paint a small picture for us of the testimony that we can give to the world. So what if we thought of others above ourselves? What if we had the needs of others at the forefront of our minds instead of our own needs? What if we went without a meal so someone could have one? What if we gave away some of our favorite things instead of giving away our junk? What if we lived in simpler or even smaller homes so others could live in a home? What if we earned more money, not so that we could live more comfortably, but so that others could live? What if the world knew Jesus' sacrifice through our sacrifice? And what if They knew the Father's generosity through our generosity.